Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning, Trinity Community Church. How are you doing today? Little sleepy, huh? Little sleepy. That's okay. I will wake you up. I'm excited. I've been out, you know, taking a couple, a little bit of a breath for the last couple weeks. I've been uh, resting. You got a little appetizer of me last week. Um, I am, um, my goal today is to not keep you here for 12 hours. We'll see if I hit my goal. I don't know. Um, one thing real quick before we get rolling, I just feel like the Holy Spirit put this on my heart. I don't know who it's for. You belong. You are not on the outside looking in. You belong. How you belong and how you connect may not be what you think it is. So you have to let that go and understand that God has brought you close to belong. So get connected. How many of you know God's always doing something new? We do not, we even know our God is timeless. How he interacts with us every time is, is new. So don't let God be your box from 20 years ago. Figure out where he is today and be there. Can you do that? You love me still, right? Good. God's taking us to some cool places. You can bring me down just a hair, Amory. I'm going to probably get a little bit louder because I'm excited to be here today. I remember Charles Stanley said this. Well, you guys know who Charles Stanley is? He wrote this in a book one time. He said, you can tell people that are built to teach. He said, if you're built to teach, God puts a burden in your heart and you can barely sleep until you unload the burden of that thought to people. Um, so these last two weeks, I'm like, you know, I can tell you this right now. Our two dogs and cats have heard my talk about 14 times. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, they're not impressed. But that's another thing. That's another thing. Um, so it was Thursday, not this Thursday, the Thursday before. I'm heading to, to, to work. I'm heading to the well. I have an office there, getting ready to do my stuff. It's early in the morning, and as I'm getting ready to turn on to uh, Polly Drummond, I notice a couple neighbors crossing the street from the park. So I wave to the neighbors. It's uh, a husband and a wife and two little dogs, and we smile, and we do some pleasantries. And I make a quick look to the left. And there's a car way out there. And I thought to myself, well, they're way out there. I can just turn out here and go to work. So I turn out there. And as I drive, I, it's like a second. I hear a horn. Ah! And, the, and, and I look behind me. And apparently, this person was moving quicker than I anticipated. And I cut them off. Now, have you ever done something like that to somebody? And, and it, it triggered something in them. And, and they just started to lose their minds. You know, have you ever had anybody cut you off? Do you know most people don't do that on purpose? And if it happened to be a red car with a TCC bumper, I'm sorry. <laughs> it may have been me. I'm sorry. So I'm driving to the light, and this lady behind me, I couldn't see what she looked like because she was very animated. Her arms were flying and flapping around. I don't know if she was speaking to me in sign language. If she was, I do not want to know what she was saying because nothing good could come from it. And as I'm watching this lady in my rearview mirror, I'm thinking to myself, this lady's really mad. I mean, she's going to have a bad day. So we get to the light. She's behind me. And I kind of peek up, but I try not to make eye contact, right? And I look, and she's still kind of doing this and going crazy. So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I don't know what to do. So I make a right to go up paper mill, and she follows me. So if paper mill is like 50 miles an hour or something, and she's right on me. So I'm going to do 55 just to create a little separation. She's right on me. I could do 150. She'd be right on me. And she's screaming the whole time and shaking her fist. So we're coming up to the light. You know the light at the top of the hill, and i got to make a left. There's a gas station there. And I'm praying to God, Lord, please don't let her pull up right next to me. Because how many of you know that that's awkward? 
So I get into the left lane, she gets into the right lane, and she pulls up right next to me. And I'm just sitting there, and I, I'm looking at her through my peripheral vision, and she's doing this to the window. Like this. And I'm just doing what, you know, I'm just going, how great is our God. Sing with, and I'm just trying not to pay attention to this woman. So I make the left, she makes the left. And then she gets right behind me again. And she's waving her fists. I'm, she's getting angrier as we're driving further on. So we're coming up to Brackenville. I got to make a right on Brackenville. And I'm like, Lord, please don't make her make a right on Brackenville. I make a right. She makes a right. And she's screaming at me up and down the hills of Brackenville. We finally get down to the light of Brackenville and Lancaster Pike. And the thought occurs to me, oh dear, what do I do? I'm going to the well. If she follows me and I make a left into the well, what if she follows me gets out of the car and beats the snot out of me in front of everybody. This is a serious concern. How many know every once in a while your faith is put to the test? So I started really praying. You know, you can pray, then you have to pray. And I'm like, oh Lord, please. So I make my right. Guess what? She makes a right. And I'm driving up the hill and it's like, I could feel the tension. You know the tension? You could feel all that. And I'm like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to drive. Do I drive past? What do I do? And I said, I'm going into the well. And I I decided to turn into the well at the last minute, and she screams past me, beeps her horn, and I'm like, ah, we averted disaster. Now, I don't know about you. That got my day started kind of like on, on the wrong foot. Have you ever had that? I was anxiety-filled. My heart was pumping. I mean, I had already worked out all the scenarios in my head where she's, you know, in there hitting me with a tire, with a baseball bat. I don't know, all these different things. Um, and I realized something. As I sat back and I reflected, you know, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever had this encounter, when I've encountered road rage like that before, sometimes the nice TJ doesn't come out. I know it's probably just me. Probably all of you have all your stuff together, right? Have you ever had somebody in a pressure moment do something and this thing pops out and you're like, oh, where did that come from, right? Now in that moment, I did really well. I mean, I wasn't angry. I was terrified because I thought this lady was nuts. By the way, if you're here today, I'm so sorry. They didn't see you. I'm so sorry. Isn't it funny how pressure situations reveal who you really are? Not only do they reveal who you really are, but they also reveal who you really believe God to be. Do you know that? Have you ever noticed you don't really know God is your provider unless you're in need? And when you're in need, then you really figure out is He really my provider? You don't really know if you really believe that God is your healer until you're sick. You know what I'm talking about? It's those pressure moments that reveal who we are and who God is to us in those things. So this uh, entire month, we started a new series called Beyond. And we are looking at this God that is undomesticated. Sometimes we, uh, we create God in our image. And God is this safe, nice old man that lives on this throne up in heaven. Understand this, beloved. That is not the God that we serve. Now know this. We know that God is good. But, and we know that we are image bearers. We are made like him. But understand this. Even though we're made in his image, you and I are not God. He is God and we're not. His attributes, who he is, is, is different than us. You can anchor yourself to him. So we've been looking at like what that really means. You know, so last week we looked at, you know, why is it important for us to understand that God doesn't change? He's timeless. You know, Daniel did a great job last week of push, pushing that boat into the water. We need somebody that's unchanging that we can anchor to in a changing world. He doesn't change. 
Nothing you say, nothing you do. Do you know that right now God loves you as much as he's ever going to love you? Whether you serve him or not, his love for you doesn't change. Do you know that? It's called unconditional love. This week we take another step and we talk about what I think is one of the core understanding pieces of what it means for us as a believer. This is a foundational piece that if you get it, in life you can face anything. And if you don't get it, your Christian walk is going to be just a long, long road. It's this, the understanding that God is good. It's simple, but it's profound. God is good. If you have your Bibles, open them to Psalm 119.68. If you're on the app, you can get all my notes. If you're on the version of the Bible, look for live events, look for Trinity, you get all my notes. What does it mean for us, and why is it so important that we understand that God is good? It's a little powerful verse. You can mine a lot through this, and we will today. Psalm 119.68 says this, You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. I'm going to say it again. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. A little powerful, condensed verse that gives us tremendous insight into who God is, how he operates, and what he expects from us. All in that little condensed verse. First, the verse tells us that God is good. This verse speaks to the very nature of who God is. At his core, he is good. Now this is what, that, this, is what this means when you talk about that. That means that inside of God there is no evil. His intentions, his motivations, everything that he is, is good. There's no evil in him. There's no darkness in him at all. Goodness is who he is. God is incapable of not being good. It's part of his nature. Now, why is that important to us? Well, because apart from God, we don't fully understand unconditional goodness. Do we? Let me think about it. Everybody you meet may have an ulterior motive. Somebody may have an angle. Some of you worked for corporations for, for 10, 20, 30 years only to be thrown away at the end. You know that you are disposable to some people, right? I told somebody this this week, you know, I was down at the well, and I said, I understand even my position is disposable. You understand that I could get, get hit by a bus next week, and you'll still have church on Sunday. Now, it may not be as funny or as delightful, but you're, it better be sad, doggone it. But you're still going to have it. Again, know this. At his core, God is good. You can anchor to his goodness. And again, it's from his goodness that goodness flows to us. It's not that just God's nature is good, but everything that comes from God is good. It's all in his goodness. It's all part of who he is in his favor. Even the act of creation itself we see, was saturated in God's goodness. Genesis 1.31 is put this way. It says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. By the way, tomorrow morning when you look at that face in the mirror and you see junk, know this. God does not make junk. Everything he makes is good. And you're part of the everything. When you look in that mirror and you see junk, understand this. That's the enemy whispering in your ear. God makes masterpieces. You are a masterpiece. So take a deep breath and receive. See yourself the way that God sees you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, beloved. God does not want just duplicates. 
When he loved you, he broke the mold. And for some of us, that's a good thing because some of you are crazy. The world can only take one of you. And if you don't know if that's you or not, it's you. Everything he makes is good. So back to Psalm 119.68. We know this. God is good. Everything that comes from God is good. And then he says this, the writer of Psalms. He says, teach me your decrees. Now, if you look at the Hebrew word for decrees, the word there is a choke, which actually means this, to have something prescribed to you or something required of you. How many of you have a prescription that you take? A doctor has given you something to take. They want you to take it to fix something, right? They prescribe this to you and they expect that you take it. How many of you don't take what you're supposed to? Naughty. I had the doctor last week prescribe to me fish oil. Ah. Not like the over-the-counter the stuff. You can get prescription fish oil. It's like that big. It's like the size of like almost a literal sardine. And she gave it to me and she says, now listen, you may have a few side effects with this fish oil. The side effects that you get from that, I, I shudder to even mention in this house. They're bad. You know, but she expects me to take it. So I sent her a, a thing this week and I said, uh, I said, I can't take this fish oil. I'll die. I tried for a week, I'm going to die. And she said, well, I have something else for you to take. They prescribe it. Now, God prescribes things to us. And they work like this. If you do this, what I'm asking you to do, your life will turn out to be exactly what it wanted to be. And you'll live to your full, to your full purpose and potential. But sometimes, like the stuff in our medicine cabinet, we don't take it. We don't do it. And then what do we do? God, why is this happening to me? Take the prescription. So the writer of this psalm says, listen. You know what? You know, I understand through this, you have prescribed something for me to do. You've asked something of me. Well, what does he ask? Well, look at the context of the scripture. God, you're good. Everything that comes from you is good. Teach me how to be good. Teach me how to be like you, for goodness to flow from me. Let my heart be good. Let my center be good. Again, we're new creations in Christ. And Father, let the intentions of my heart, let the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Let me be good. So we pray collectively as a church, Lord, teach us to walk in your goodness. So why is it important for us as a church and as people to understand that God is good? To live from it. Because how many of you know that life very rarely unfolds like we expect it to? How many of you know that um, your life is probably not a Hallmark movie? You know, one, 38 movies, the same plot, Right? where everything works out in the end. Much of our life is lived in these areas that you call, you know, that doesn't make sense or we don't understand. That means this, because life is more gray than black and white, it requires of us steps of faith. What it gives us the ability to take these steps of faith when it comes to living out your life. One of the things that helps you to, to, to trust God is knowing this. He is good. And the things that he has for your life are good. When you embrace the goodness of God, who he is, and understand that he's good, two things shift in your lives. The first thing that shifts is your vantage point. How you see the world changes. The second thing that shifts is your victory point. That changes too. That is what God is trying to accomplish in your life. Very powerful things. You have to understand both of these things. If you're going to mature in your faith, and you're going to understand the nature of God, who he is. So first, let's look at this vantage point thing. How you see your life, how you see your circumstances. 
God wants to redeem how you see your world. He wants you and I to see our world through his eyes, through the lens of goodness, not through our eyes. His desire is very simple. He wants to saturate the world with his presence. Do you know how he does that? Through us, through you, and through me. Do you know that God is in the redemption business? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. What is that? The redemption business. He's in the business of redeeming things. And he has a part in all of that for you to play. But understand this, your ability to be used from God is directly impacted by how you see the world. Do you see the world through his eyes? Or do you see the world through broken eyes? Do you see the world as desolate, hopeless? Are you consumed with the darkness around you? Or do you see the world as light in the middle of darkness? Do you see brokenness as an opportunity? When you start to see brokenness through the eyes of opportunity and love and grace, you start to see the world through the lens of God's goodness. So how can you see God's goodness in a world that is so, so bad, so dark, so evil? How, do you, uh, how can you keep your faith when the enemy throws you a curveball, when life throws you a curveball? I mean, how is you know, your vision when, when things just don't make sense? That's why this revelation, this understanding of who God is and that he's good is so important for us. This is also why testimonies are important for us too. So I invited Michael Periskevich to join me this morning. He's going to share with us a little story, a little testimony of um, his encounter with God's goodness. Make him feel welcome. Always, always feel welcome here. So Michael, tell everybody a little bit about you know, who you are and how long you and the family have been coming to Trinity. So, so the family, uh, here in the extended family for 13 years. Um, year before my little Anna, who's sitting there, was born. Beautiful. Yeah. Long time. How old is Anna now? Uh, Anna will be uh, 12. 12. That did a good job. Beautiful. So, yeah, you're here. You've been a believer, and everything's been great. Wonderful. Yeah. And then, um, you know, a few years back, you discover, you know, you've been living life with a lump. As we get older, we have some stuff. So tell us a little bit about uh, this lump and what you discovered through it. So when you have enough uh, family and friends that are physicians, and they look at these things on your your back, and and, um, they say, hey, it's nothing, Uh, you, you live with things for, you know, five or six or seven or eight years, sometimes longer. Um... um, but when you have kids, um, you learn things about deductibles. And when, when you learn things about deductibles, certain things you, you learn, it's like free money. So when you get this free money, you're like, what can I have done for this free money that you know, will improve the quality of my life or the people that are sitting behind me at the beach looking at my back? Um, <laughs> so um, we decided, um, you know, Anna was born, had this extra money. Um, let's go get this thing popped out. Long story short, we get this thing popped out. Uh, and it literally popped out and rolled along the floor, but that's part of the story. Uh, not really part of the story, but a, a fun little fact. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, the, the, the doctor, who's like really just a cosmetic surgeon, said, hey, I, I'm supposed to send these things off. I'm sure it's nothing. Uh, 
but you know, uh, I'm going to send it off. And a couple weeks later, I get a, a call from this same doctor say, hey, who's your family physician? Well, or your physician or doctor. I was like, I, I don't have one. You know, that's not, that's not something I normally have to do. Um, so he said, would you like me to recommend you one? Yes, we did. Uh, long story short, um, I get a call from uh, my new physician, who's been my physician for now, you know, all these years, um, 12 years. And uh, he said, uh, hey, you have to come in. I got to talk to you about some different things. And uh, I said, hey, can we not do this? Can you just tell me over the phone what's going on? I'm a big boy. Uh, he said, sure, I've got good news and bad news for you. Um, the uh, good news, um, let me see, the, the, the bad news is you have cancer. Uh, the good news is you picked a pretty good one. Uh, and, you know, most people live from it. I was like, oh, that's great. <laughs> um, so that kind of started a little bit of a, little bit of a journey. Um, the journey included... Um, uh, they call it therapy. It's, it's really kind of like um, uh, what are chemotherapy, but it's, I don't know why they call it therapy. Uh, and then also included radiation where they bolt your head down to a, you know, a board and they put a little tattoo and they make sure they radiate the same spot uh, for a summer. Um, and and that, was a, um, that was a fun process. Yeah. So what was it like for you to uh, be able to receive that? Because this is amazing. When, when he told me the story, uh, one of the things that he said was just beyond me was, um, you know, anytime you get faced with stuff like that, you can go one of two directions. You could run, you know, for the hills and say, I'm going to die, this is going to die, or you can put your hope in God. And you said something that was even kind of beyond both of them. He, was, he told me, he says, I couldn't wait to see how God was going to interact and, and answer so this, this, this prayer. So how, how did you come to terms with that? How did you see stuff like that, you know, through God, the lens of God's goodness, something that could, like, shipwreck you? How, how were you able to do that? Yeah. So I think whenever we get, um, you know, into a place uh, where we have a challenge with, with something in life, um, we, have, we have two different choices, right? You can, you can choose to uh, let it um, destroy you, or you can choose to uh, let God work through it. And um, the, the beautiful thing in life is that um, as a family and individually, I've been through enough things in life with God that I know He's good. I mean, I, I really know He's good. And uh, I didn't say this in the first uh, message, but, you know, to the point when, you know, I am even just a little bit scared, um, like, like on a roller coaster or some sort of, I, I don't do roller coasters, I don't do rides. But um, Catherine will tell you, the one time we went on a scary ride together, um, I just yelled Jesus the whole time because that's all I got. In life. <laughs> Literally, that's all you got, right? I mean, Jesus, Jesus, exactly. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And she's like, what's wrong with this guy? How can I ever marry him? I don't know. I mean, that's my biggest problem. But, um, but honestly, I mean, that's, that's all I know. That's all I got, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. So, so it kind of keeps going back to that. Um, God is good, um, and I know he's going to take care of me. <laughs> so obviously you're cancer-free. Um, you know, God did take care of you. What is something that you would like to share with people here today that might be facing, you know, something out there yeah. that, uh, you know, in respect to how God's goodness carried you, maybe how he can carry their, yeah. their stuff. So, so a couple things. Um, first of all, cancer's, uh, you know, one of these things, it's an easy, it's an easy thing to ask for a testimony, especially when you're here healed from cancer. But, you know, if anyone has time and wants a real testimony, I can give you things that were a lot scarier and a lot less, um, um, Hey, how's God going to work this out? And he's always worked it out. Mm. Um, so so when, he, when, when, when I got the diagnosis, um, I remember hearing um, from God, and again, hearing from God. But again, you know, as I got more and more into it, and I shared this testimony about 10 years ago, um, I remember this feeling that um, you know, God was saying, hey, there is a, there's a wave coming. 
Are you going to choose to ride the wave, or are you going to choose to get consumed by the wave? So we can talk about that in surfing or bodyboarding. Um, I like to think about it often um, in terms of, of running a boat. So if you're ever running a boat through like an inlet or something like that, and you have a following sea, um, what happens is it, it you kind of got to make sure you're in the right spot, right? And and because otherwise what happens is the, the, the boat gets pushed in a way that you really don't have control anymore. But, you know, when you're, when you're tied into God and, and, and listening to his voice and just kind of doing the best you can, all of a sudden you find that sweet spot in the wave. And, and then you find that sweet spot how to overtake the next wave. But again, it's all about timing and it's all about patience and it's all about being, you know, basically to me it was being in God's presence at the right time. And, and you practice it with little waves um, so that when you get hit by the bigger waves and, and you're like, oh my goodness, what is going on? Hey guys, how are you? Um, how, oh my goodness, you know, um, uh, what's going on? Um, you've got that experience from before and you can build on that experience. And I, and I you know, I, I, the only other thing I'd like to kind of share is, um, um, you know, the, the story of uh, Joshua and Caleb with his other buddies that were kind of looking over the hill, you know, um, the perspective that Joshua and Caleb had as they were looking over that hill um, was, uh, hey, God has promised there for us and there's something into the future. And the perspective of all the other people that didn't actually end up getting able to go into the promised land was them, with them was that, um, hey, we're going to be consumed. Um, but with that little bit of faith and seeing through things through God's perspective, um, you know, God does show you amazing things. And I feel like that's kind of the scripture that he gave me through it all. Beautiful. Thank yep. you, Michael. Yep. Good. Have you ever noticed that you have a ton of faith for the person next to you? Yeah. But sometimes for your own situation, you know, the faith gets a little thin. Amen. Trust that God is, uh, he's there, not just for them, but for you. And this is also a reason why we need each other. God did not call any Lone Ranger Christians. He called us to be interconnected, not independent. So be connected. Um, this is also why, um, you know, if sometimes we, 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 we think that our faith, just because you're a believer, everything is easy and everything is comfortable. Jesus never promised us that life would be a bowl of cherries once you become a, a fully devoted follower of Christ. If you came to faith because somebody promised you all of your problems would go away, you have been lied to. I'd find that person and beat them with a stick. Don't do that, please. Don't do that. Pastor T.J. said I could beat you with a stick. Jesus didn't say things would be easy. He said things would be possible. John 16, says this. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Don't forget, peace is in any. It's not an Audi. So when we believe and we understand that God is good, one of the benefits of that is we have the proper vantage point. So we see things much clearer. So our faith is not shipwrecked. We aren't just thrown about because we understand and we can see God is a different plan. means this, when you face calamity, when you face trials, you don't freak out. We're able to operate in peace. All that comes from the understanding, the revelation that God is good. And the cool thing about peace is this. Peace is not just something that you just get to keep for yourself. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. That means that others will benefit from the peace that you bring with you. Fruit is meant to be passed, consumed. As people see you walking through those moments, God gives you the peace that you need. 
Um, his goodness establishes your vantage point. That's the first thing. The second thing that God's goodness does for us is this. It defines your victory point. Sometimes what we think victory is and what God thinks victory is are two entirely different things. We have a tendency, again, to be focused on our temporary deliverance when God has a tendency to be focused on our overall development. How many of you know that sometimes God will keep you in a situation to develop things in you rather than just to deliver you? God isn't as focused on your comfort as he is the development of your character, beloved. He has a larger view of what's going on inside of you and how he needs to form you so he can, you can carry all the things that he wants you to carry so you can do all the things that he wants you to do. That's not an easy process. So that means this, your victory point may not be what you think it is. Now we see this clearly in the life of Joseph. Who is Joseph? We're not talking about, you know, Jesus' stepdad, Joseph. We're talking about Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob who turns into Israel. It's an Old Testament story. Um, so Jacob wrestles with Elohim, and he's renamed Israel. Israel has a bunch of kids, but Joseph is his favorite kid. How many of you have children? One of the faux pas of parenting is to never declare who your favorite kid is. And every parent says they don't have a favorite kid. Us parents know that's not true. My favorite kid changes depending on what they need and what, their what time they're bugging me, right? Um, so every kid, our kids still, they do this. You know, it'll be a quiet moment. We have three kids and then a bonus daughter. And all of them, well, McKenna hasn't done this yet, but all of them will come up like when they don't think there's around and say, now, dad, it's just us. You could tell me. I'm the favorite, right? And I tell them all the same thing. No, you're not the favorite. We have one favorite, Harris. His name was Griffin. He was a guinea pig. He was amazing. And they're like, you like a guinea pig better than me? I was like, yeah, I think I do. Deflects the question. So Joseph had this faux pas. He declared a favorite. If you got your Bibles, turn to Genesis 37. Turn to verse 3. We're going to look at the story of his life today because I'm telling you guys, um, it is the pattern of understanding that God is good even in less than ideal situations. It says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and couldn't speak a kind word to him. Then Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain in the field and suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around me and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Who do, you, uh, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him even more because of the dream that he had said here. Now there's a few little things you've got to grab here. First, you can clearly see that Joseph is the baby of the family. Right? This is baby, like, uh, you know, actions if I've ever seen it. Right? How many, of you, how many of you have got like a little brother, little sister, and you believe with all your heart that they get away with murder? It's biblical proof. It's true. It's all true. You know, the, the eldest kid thinks they're responsible for everything, and the middle child, they think that they, they get the shaft and everything, right? The second thing you need to understand is this. Just because God speaks something to you doesn't necessarily mean that he wants you to speak it out. We have a little thing we talk about here. There's a little acronym, RIA. When God speaks to you, that's revelation. And then the I is interpretation. What does it mean? And then the A is application. What do you do with it? Now, Joseph just spoke it right out. 
Sometimes God will give you intel on something that's going on. And before you even ask him what you want me to do with it, you just speak it out. And how many of you know that you can do that? Sometimes bad things happen. Always ask God, what do you want me to do with this? Now, I don't know what God's heart was within this, but I know that it turned out pretty bad for Joseph. So as the story goes, his brothers hated him so much, they decided to jump him. They didn't want to kill him outright, so they were going to throw him in a dry well and just leave him there and just let him die. They had this big plan. They were going to grab his, his robe that they hated, dip it in blood, and show it to his dad. By the way, um, there's another little resting spot here. One of the greatest evils that you and I can have in our world is when we fall to the evil of comparison. Comparison will get you into so much trouble. You'll buy cars you can't afford. You'll buy houses that you can't afford. You'll make opinions about people based on you wanting their position rather than coming alongside of them. Now, I am so grateful that as churches, we never compare ourselves to other churches. I'm so grateful that it's so beyond us. There you go. That's right. Be careful with comparison. Be the person that God wants you to be. It doesn't mean you can't be inspired by people. I see people that inspire me all the time. Be you. Be who God created you to be. Right? Let's keep going. So at the last minute, he's in this, this cistern. They decide instead of leaving him for dead, they look out and they see this caravan coming of Midianites. And they said, why don't we just sell Joseph into slavery? We're not going to kill him. His blood won't be in our hands. And we'll make a little money from it. So they end up selling their brother into, into slavery with these Midianites. They dip the, the robe into the blood. They take it back to their, their dad, Jacob, or Israel. And it breaks his heart to think that he lost his, his son. I can't imagine bearing a child. He bears that weight. So how many of you think you have it rough? Maybe somebody took your parking spot at the Walmart. Maybe the well messed up your order. Maybe you got that unforeseen bill and you're like, God, why are you, why is this happening to me? How many of you, when's the last time you were thrown into a dry well and sold into slavery? What do I, somebody always has it worse than us. Vantage point. See things from the right vantage point. So here you have Joseph. His whole world has changed. What do you think was going through Joseph's mind when all this was happening? Do you think he had an opportunity and the temptation to lose his faith? I mean, the Bible doesn't indicate that he did anything really wrong. Do you think he questioned things? I think, of course he did. I think he's human. And as bad as it was in this moment for Joseph, don't worry, it gets worse. It does. So Joseph gets sold to one of the Pharaoh's officials, Potiphar. And what's nuts is this. Even in slavery, God brings Joseph favor. He elevates him in Potiphar's house. And it's absolutely nuts. It's like everything that Joseph touches, God blesses. Even if Joseph had questions, even beyond that, in the midst of all those things, he still prospered even in less than ideal circumstances. Genesis 39, 2 and 3 says this. And the Lord was with Joseph, so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Verse 3. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and all the Lord gave him was his success in everything he did, the rest of the passage goes on to say that he gave him control of his entire household. He gave him everything. So here you see, you know, a great story of God's faithfulness. God took Joseph, brought him out of the pit, put him in a house in a better place, and God gave him all this great stuff. End of story, Joseph lives happily ever after, right? Because it's a Hallmark movie, right? Nope, nope it's not. 
Things were looking up until he ran into Potiphar's wife. She decided to make the moves on Joseph. And Joseph did what any righteous man would do. He said, no, I won't do it. He repelled her righteous advance. And you know what his righteousness got him? Prison. Prison. It's a man of character, a man of righteousness. Prison. How many of you at this point would look up to the heavens and say, okay, God, I'm out. All I do is what you ask me to do. And it seems like every time I do what you ask me to do, life gets worse for me. Don't forget, beloved, sometimes God will allow you to walk roads to encounter things. Not because you've made poor decisions, but to mold you into his own likeness and to prepare you to carry out what he wants you to do. Just because things don't go well in your life doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. Have you ever thought about this? Maybe God is answering your prayers. You know those dangerous prayers? Like, God, can you use me? God, I'll do anything for you. God, help me to be closer to you. And God's like, is that what you want? You want to be closer to me? Let's start to prune you and pull these things out of your life that are keeping me from you. Right? And beloved, we have to be careful also as churches and as people that we don't look at others' lives and come to wrong conclusions to why their road seems bumpier than yours. Well, I look at their children. They're like banshees. They're crazy. They must have done something bad. Well, he lost his job. You know, well, they got that sickness. Well, I don't know what they were doing, but it couldn't have been a good thing. Be careful. God allows us to walk our roads to prepare us. Now, you may have done things that have opened up the road before you. You may have done nothing, and those bad things have come upon you. Either way, you ready for this? God is still with you, and he's still in control. If you trust If you believe what? That his heart is good and his heart is for you. So Joseph finds himself again in this bad place. But he remembers this. Psalm 119, 71 says this. My suffering was good for me for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Sometimes God will allow things to come in to mold us and to put us into alignment with his heart. Don't equate your suffering with God's lack of approval for your life. And don't do it in the lives of others either. So Joseph is in a sticky spot. Don't worry. For Joseph, it gets worse. We're not even to the bottom yet. We're not. So Potiphar's wife makes an advance on him, but it doesn't stop there. She lies and she says that he tried to rape her. Look at Genesis 39, 20. It says, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison then, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. This is nuts. It seems like the darker he goes, the deeper he goes, God's favor continues to rise up and shine, even in those dark situations. Look at verse 22. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those he held in prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. Everything. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and he gave him success in whatever he did. Even in prison, God was with Joseph. Well, how does Joseph keep going? By now, Joseph has to start making, he starts to start to understand this pattern of what Michael talked about. 
God's goodness. He sees God's faithfulness in the pit. He sees God's faithfulness, you know, you know, even, you know, from all the other stuff that he's done, you know, now he's, he's in prison. Well, if he saved me here and he saved me here, then God, maybe I'm safe with wherever you're taking me. And Joseph understood this, even in less than ideal situations, God can still show up and shower your life with goodness. Why? Because he's good and everything that comes from him is good. He's good. You and I don't have to see the big picture. We just have to trust. We trust a God that's beyond us and a God that's good. So for Joseph, this isn't the end of the story. Him in prison, prospering. Ready? It gets worse. It gets worse for this righteous man. While in prison, Joseph the dreamer (laughs) has an encounter with two very important people. The king's cupbearer and the king's baker. Now these are very important positions because these are people that have intimate relationship with the the Pharaoh, with the king. So each of them have a dream, and uh, they throw these crazy dreams out, and nobody in the prison can interpret their dreams but Joseph, the dreamer. Um, So the the baker tells Joseph, he says, I had a dream, and he tells him the whole dream, and and Joseph interprets the dream. He says, well, the dream means this, in three days, you're going to lose your head. Imagine getting that thing. Well, is there another interpretation in there somewhere? Then he gets with the cupbearer, and he says, the cupbearer tells him his dream. He says, here's the dream. He says, in three days, uh, you'll be delivered from this place and you'll be restored completely. And then he makes one request of the cupbearer. He says, can you do me a favor? When all this comes to pass, can you not forget me? And the cupbearer goes, sure. So three days happen. Both things unfold exactly the way that Joseph said they would. The baker gets beheaded. And the cupbearer forgets all about Joseph. There he is in prison. Two years later, how many of you struggle when you don't feel God gives you an answer in two days? Two years later, Pharaoh, the big guy, has a dream that he can't understand. And in that moment, the cupbearer remembers Joseph two years later. He says, King, I don't understand what this this means. He says, but I think I know a guy that may be able to figure this out. So he tells Pharaoh to call this guy out of prison, Joseph. Joseph comes through, he interprets Pharaoh's dream that has a direct impact on Egypt's future and the future of the world. Pharaoh's dream tells him that there's a famine coming. There's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, and that God gave Pharaoh the dream to prepare him so his people would be there and be, be strong through the famine. So the Pharaoh is so impressed. He sees God's favor in Joseph's life. He makes him ruler over everything. Look at Genesis 41, verse 39. This is nuts. Remember, left for dead in a well, a slave in a household, prison, forgotten. Can can you relate with some of those things? Have you ever been forgotten? Have you ever been betrayed? Now, maybe they didn't throw you in a pit, but you know. And then he's here. Genesis 41, 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. That's kind of bananas, isn't it? 
Verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and he put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in, his, in a chariot uh, as his second in command. And the people shouted before him, make a way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. What an amazing story of perseverance. What an amazing story of never giving up. And this would be a great story if it ended right there. But it doesn't. Because God has an even bigger plan for Joseph. Through God's goodness, that included the pit, slavery, years in prison, he was preparing Joseph for something that's even greater. So Egypt experiences the seven years of plenty, just like he said they would. Then they experience seven years of famine. And because Joseph is prepared, Egypt is found in a position to be able to, be, to take care of not just the Egyptians, but to be a center of grain for the entire world at that time, that world around them. So as the famine spreads out more, it eventually impacts his brothers, his father and Israel. They run out of food, so Israel sends the boys down to Egypt to get grain. To get that grain, they have to come and they have to meet with Joseph. But here's the catch. They have no idea who Joseph is. They said the last time they saw him, he was heading out with a caravan with some Midianite slave traders, right? So they come before Joseph. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. So here you have Joseph, finally, in the seat of power. He is in a position to pay back his brothers for all the pain that they caused him. Have you ever found yourself there where you were finally in a place where you were vindicated? Right? God gives you the keys. I'm vindicated. And everybody knows what you do when God gives you the keys of vindication. You let everybody know that you've been wrong. You stand in strength and you make them feel and understand all the things that you felt. Right? They hurt you. God gives you the right to hurt them. Everybody knows what you do when you've hurt people. You hurt them back. Right? Everybody knows what you do when people have wronged you. You wrong them back, right? Those that yell at you, that gives you the right to yell at them. Those that, that belittle you, that gives you the right to belittle them, right? That's victory, right? God's giving a vindication. That's victory, right? Nope, it's not. Beloved, how people treat us has no bearing on how we treat them. We are image bearers, which means this. The nastier and the darker our world gets, the sweeter and brighter we become. We show people to the cross. We show them the way of Christ by not just the things that we do, but the things that we don't do. We never repay evil for evil. Why? Because God is good. And everything he does is good. And our heart is to learn his ways. Lord, Help me to understand your decrees. How many of you know that that's tough? But that's what we're called to do. So instead of harming, I'm going to cry. Try not to cry at this part. Don't go on it. Because these guys were thousands of years ago. Instead of harming his family, Joseph finally understands the big picture. He reveals himself to his brothers. And then he says this, which is just remarkable. This is Genesis 50, 18. His brothers then came and they threw themselves down before him. They said, we're your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. 
Am I in the place of God? And look at verse 20. And may this be the cry of our heart. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. It doesn't matter what the enemy meant by it. What it means is that God can take those things and use them for good. If you let him, if you approach the way of the right way. God intended everything that Joseph experienced, not just for his personal good, but for the good of nations, for the good of Egypt, and for the good of Israel. God put on the shelf Joseph's comfort for something that was even greater than he could even see or imagine. God revealed to Joseph in this moment the true victory point, which is that God caused all these things for his good. He does the same for us if you see things through the lens of his goodness. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those that love God to those that are called according to his purpose. You may be in the midst of a tough situation right now. Maybe you caused it. Maybe it was thrown on you. You may have had those dark nights of the soul where you don't understand. Even though you don't understand what's happening, let me encourage you right now to trust You can take a step of faith and trust God, even though you don't understand it, because you know in your heart that God is good and everything that comes from him is good. Everything. Everything. Bow your heads with me. Father, help us to be like you. Help us to understand your goodness and to pass it along. We want to be different. We want to be a reflection of your heart. So God, would you take those parts of us, Lord, that need to be crushed? Would you help us to be like you? This is what I'd like you to do just in this moment. Take a minute and talk to the Holy Spirit. Some of you are in the thick of it right now. Ask him to give you the proper vantage point to the waves that are coming at you. Let him show you his plan and his purpose in all things. And beloved, in the midst of all of it, don't change who you are. Understand, he is good. Goodness flows from him. And his desire is for us to be like him, to be good. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.